everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to Church Online. We're in a series we've called The Games We Play. We're leading into Easter. Easter is coming just a few weeks away. And we know this, that Easter really is, it's, it's cliche, but it's the Super Bowl of Sundays. It is the Sunday. If there's any other Sunday in the year that someone may give church a try that just doesn't go to church, it's, it's Easter Sunday. And we know that Easter Sunday, there's going to be lots of people and really the potential of lots of people to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So really the premise of this series is to prepare us, to equip us, to challenge us, encourage us all as the body of Christ to reach those people around us that God has placed in our life to influence them with the gospel. Do you know this, that you have a sphere of influence that God has strategically placed in your life, for your life, for your life to make a difference in their life. If you've got your notes, you can get them right there online. You can read along with me our theme verse. It says, your lives are echoing the master's word. Not only in the provinces, but all over the place. The news of your faith in God is out. You can't hide it anymore. We don't have to say anything anymore. You are the message. That's 1 Thessalonians 1.8 in the message version, the paraphrased version. Paul said, your life, you are the message. Last week, week two, last week we talked about Simon Says, the games we play. I love the theme of this series, talking about games. We, we love games, uh, board games. You know there's over 100,000 different board games. We love games in our family. The truth is, in 2020, during the pandemic, we played lots of board games. We played Sorry, and we taught our kids Monopoly, and uh, we taught our kids card games. We played lots and lots and lots of games. I'm sure probably you did too. Um, if you were stuck in home like we were most of the time during that season, and we introduced our kids to that uh, idea of board games, and we just love it around our family. We love competition and competing and playing with one another uh, in different board games. And you know, there's I played sports my whole life. I played football and I really played baseball my entire life. My son Shepard has started interested, started getting interested in baseball uh, just recently and he's starting to play. He'll play for the first time ever this year and I'm really excited about teaching him the game of baseball. All kinds of games and the truth is we play games in life as well and last week we talked about it. I just told you Simon says and we talked about the premise of all of us. We all need we all do actually listen to assignment in our lives. Many of us were influenced by social media. There's actually a thing called an influencer. An influencer. We know that people are influencers and we make decisions in our lives based on the influence of people in our lives. We did a series a while back called, called Influencer, and, we, and in that series we actually discovered that contrary to popular belief, people with millions and millions of followers are actually less influential to most people than, than people closest to them. Meaning that many people think there's no way I'm an influencer. I can't have influence in, in anyone's life. But the truth is, people with the smallest amount of influencers on social media, meaning they may have 100 followers or they may have 50 or maybe even 1,000 followers, the percentage of the people that follow them that actually do or are influenced by their life is higher than the percentage of people that do anything with millions and millions of followers. It means that the people closest to you 
literally are watching you and, and are influenced by your life. And last week we talked about if anything's ever going to influence us like that, Simon says, do anything, wouldn't it be Jesus? Wouldn't he be the greatest influencer to follow? Wouldn't he be the most trustworthy thing to follow in this world? And especially through his word. If you haven't tuned in, maybe this is your first time. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us. But you can log on right where you are and you can view or listen to all of the previous messages. And I would encourage you to do that because Easter season is super important. What if... What if that, 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 those people in your life that God has strategically placed in your life, what if they're waiting on you to influence them? What if they're waiting on you to lead them to a Savior? What if the life you lived is the thing that's going to influence them for the gospel? But today, that leads us to today, we've talked about sharing our faith, and we've talked about talking about our faith, and today we're going to talk about the game Duck, Duck, Goose. I remember playing that as a child. It was a favorite game as a child to pass the time in school and in kindergarten, and the premise of the game is everybody sits in a circle, and, and then there's a person who is it, and he walks around and he taps on everyone's head, duck, 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 and eventually he taps someone and says, goose, and you have to chase the goose, right? You have to chase it all the way around and you have to hopefully beat them before they get to your spot. So they tag you and they have to run around the circle and hopefully get to your spot safely and making you it. But there's some decisions that you have to make when you're playing that game. I remember playing the game when I was young and I remember learning that I had to strategically try to decide who was the slowest person. I never wanted to pick someone faster than me. I never wanted to make a bad decision on who I chose. So there was big decisions to be made as I played Duck, Duck, Goose and always tried. We didn't always get it right. Every now and then there would be a surprise and somebody would be a lot faster than you thought they were. And they would beat you around and of course you would have to be it again. You know, the reality is that's the truth in our own lives. As we walk through life and the games that we play, many of us... We make lots of decisions every day. They say on average that a person already, we're, we're well into the new year, 2022. We've made thousands of decisions. You make thousands of decisions a day. Did you know that? Incremental, small, little decisions that we make every day that amounts up to the days that we live, the life that we live, the decisions that we make ultimately build the lives that we live. And Paul said it in our theme verse, you are the message. It's what we do that speaks louder than anything that we say. It's an old statement that I heard years ago that people don't care how, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? You, what you do preaches louder than what you say. And many of us have lived our lives saying one thing, but really living a different way. And I want to talk to you about that today. We're going to dive in and I'm going to share with you I'm going to share with you three different perspectives of what people what we see and what people see in the lives that we live. And then I'm going to share with you three more things that I believe that can challenge us and shape us and mold us to be more like Jesus as we endeavor to live our lives on purpose, influencing those people in our lives for the gospel. So let's pray together and let's dive in. Father, we're just so grateful for your grace on our lives today. We're grateful for your word, that it is alive and breathing and for us. 
We're grateful that it challenges us, it shapes us, it molds us, it encourages us, it inspires us. But even more than any of that, it equips us to do every good work you've called us to do. And God, I know as we lead into Easter season, you have placed people strategically in our lives for us to influence with the gospel. And God, that we wouldn't miss those opportunities, that we wouldn't just live our lives going through the rat race of life, doing the day in and day out mundane things, getting so overwhelmed with the to-do list, getting so overwhelmed with things that we have to do that we miss the people because that makes all the difference. Heaven's going to be filled with people. Eternity, one way or the other, it's going to be filled with people, not stuff or things or jobs or accomplishments or to-do list. And so, God, that we wouldn't be so overwhelmed in our lives in this Easter season with things to do that we miss people to reach. God, I pray that you open our eyes today, open our hearts, inspire us to live our life on purpose in a way that honors you. You'll get all the credit for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's dive in. If we're going to chase the goose and duck, duck, goose, if we're going to do that, many of us, we realize it's, it, there's, a, there's a way that we show, that we demonstrate our lives. And I like to say it this way. It's the me we see. It's the me that we all see. This is, the, this is the person that we love for everyone to see. This is the most practiced me. This is the one that I hope everybody thinks that I am. I try really hard to present myself socially, all of us do, socially in a, in a certain manner, in a certain way. The Bible says it this way in Luke chapter 12, verse 8. Jesus talks about how you present yourself publicly and who you represent publicly. He said, I tell you the truth, everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, the Son of Man will acknowledge in the presence of God's angels. That's in Luke chapter 12, verse 8. So what does that mean? What does it mean if I acknowledge him publicly, then he'll acknowledge me? The question is, who am I acknowledging? Who am I representing? Jesus is saying it's important that we represent him publicly. That the life that I live, the decisions that I make, the seeds that I sow in this world, that it represents Jesus. Jesus goes on to say that it's a literal, it's actually acknowledging him. It's an opportunity for us to acknowledge who he is as King of kings and Lord of lords. The question is, does my life publicly reflect Jesus? We all have ways, right? We've all got, it's, it's, it's the social media me. It's the, it's the no matter how bad my day is or no matter how bad the circumstance is, I always figure out a way to muster up a smile and at least project that everything's okay. That everything's going the right direction. I love talking with families with young children as they go and have photo shoots and have opportunities to get family pictures. And many of them will tell you how horrible the day goes trying to get that perfect picture. I was talking with someone just the other day and they were showing me their family pictures and he was telling me just how angry he was and how much they had fought that day just to get that perfect picture that it was just not going right and he was miserable. But can I tell you, you couldn't tell an ounce of that in those photos. Everything looked just right. It was picture perfect. That phrase is how we try to live our lives. Picture perfect. Perfect. It's what we want everyone to think about us. It's the perception that we want to project to the world. It's, it's, it's wearing spanks underneath, knowing that if we didn't have them, we couldn't fit into that particular thing, right? It's, it's, it's projecting a specific way. 
And the truth is, if, I, if, if I'm intentional about how I present myself, am I intentionally representing, am I intentionally acknowledging the lordship of Jesus in my life? It's the me that we see. Number two, I'll share with you this one, there's also the me that I see. It's what I really know about me. This is the part of me that I absolutely know is there, but I hope that no one else sees. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 21. He says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That's in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyways. Can you relate to that? But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It's the, it's the sin living in me that does it. And then he says something so profound. I've discovered this principle of life. A principle is something that just is, right? It's a principle. It's something you live by. It is. It's not governed by outside agencies. It, it is. There's the principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Here's what I know, that there are, there is all of us have a me that I see. All of us have stuff and things that we're ashamed of, that we're not grateful that, that we're a part of, that ultimately we would hope that nobody would know decisions that we've made or things that we've done. This is the hidden me. It's actually, though, one of the most important parts because it's my character. It's my integrity. I've always been taught, I've played sports my entire life, and I don't know that a coach, there wasn't a coach out there that didn't say, Brandon, integrity, character, it's what you are, it's who you are when no one else is looking. It's the me that I see. You see, it's super important for us to project Jesus publicly. But I can tell you that it's very dangerous to only project him publicly and not follow him privately. And there's the me that I see and there's so many people tuning in and there's so many people around the world that are a part of the local church that claim to follow Jesus that are stuck in the me that I see. And it's making a detrimental difference in the life that they live. You're making decisions in your life that don't honor Jesus. Thinking that it's just okay. Well, I'll just ask for forgiveness. I'll just struggle. And maybe, maybe this is you. Maybe you've struggled with it and you hate it and you just don't know how to overcome it. You're deep in addiction. You can't help the bad decisions that you can't seem to go away from. You seem to just fall right back into it. You yourself have discovered this principle that even though you want to do what is right, you inevitably do what is wrong. This can, honestly, this can be the most exhausting me. It's exhausting. I remember in my own life walking through, struggling with sin, struggling with, uh, with, with my own struggles, with my own situation, with my own issues, and going, God, I just don't, I don't want it. I hate it. I remember praying hundreds, thousands of times. I take this away. It's not who I want to be. And over and over and over again, the Lord wouldn't do it. I would still struggle, and I would still fall back into the same circumstances, much like Paul did. And he began to realize the truth that's the same truth for you and me. When, when I believe when Paul began to pen this passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 7 was the day I believe this. It doesn't say it, but I really do believe this is the day he began to find freedom over it. Because it's the things that I know that no one else knows that always holds me in bondage. 
It's the thing that Paul understood about himself that he couldn't, no matter how hard he tried and wanted to do right, he couldn't seem to overcome it in his own strength and his own ability. It was a principle. It was a sin nature in him that all of us are born into that inevitably, no matter how hard he tried, he inevitably did the wrong thing. And there's truth in this. You can't do it in your own ability. The me I see will always be the reality until I allow someone else to see. Can I tell you this? That it's, uh, it's, it's not helpful for everybody in your life to only think you've got it all together. To only think that you, can, you, you, you don't have any struggles and there's nothing going on in your life. The me I see really needs to be the me we see. It needs to be a reality so that the world can see the sphere of influence in your life can see except for the grace of God. There we are. That's the hope of the gospel. And then there's this third person that I'll share with you that, that we don't see. I like to say it, it's the me that you see. This is the me that everyone else in my life, they know this about me, but I don't know this about me. There was, that, was, that, ha- that happened to Jesus in John chapter 1. Look at this. Philip went and looked for Nathanael, and he told him, We have found the very person that Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And I love it. Look at what Nathanael said. He had a projection. He thought something about Jesus that nobody else thought that Jesus didn't know. Nazareth, he exclaimed, exclaimed Nathanael. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come on, this is what everyone sees. This is what others see that I don't see. Jesus didn't do anything on a personal level to earn that reputation, but it's how people saw it. Jesus didn't, this wasn't anything that Jesus had done to earn that reputation, but it's what people thought about him based on where he come from, based on his family, based on his hometown. Come on, how many labels have you had to carry around based on things like that in your own life? Based on the family that you grew up in. Based on uh, maybe your socioeconomical status. Based on uh, maybe, maybe in your own life it was decisions that you've made in your past. Because culturally speaking in, 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 on earth, humanity, once you've done something, you carry that label the rest of your life. You know, there's nothing, only Jesus erases labels. And in, in, in on earth, in humanity, if, you, if you've ever stolen something, you're always labeled a thief. If you've ever lied about something, you've all, you'll always be considered a liar. But God doesn't do that. Like there's a, there's a projection that people see that we don't see, and we don't always have to carry those labels. We're not the sum of our past. We're not even the culmination of the decisions that we're making today. Maybe you're tuning in. Maybe you're here today and you've tuned in and you've, you're, you're actively making bad decisions. You are not a culmination of those bad decisions. Your value is not based on human opinion. It's the power and the grace and the goodness of God that changes those circumstances. I know this, that if you continue to carry around the labels that you think about yourself may be placed on you by someone else because of some circumstance in your own life and you say, well, it's just who I am, it's how I grew up, I don't think it's ever going to change. And if you continue to carry those labels, it's not God's fault that you continue to walk in the circumstances and the consequences of those decisions. Because God doesn't call you by those labels. 
The Holy Spirit of God is here today. You're tuning in today and the voice of God is speaking you, to you saying, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to carry that label. The me we see, the me I see, and the me you see. Those are all perspectives. But what if I told you it could change? What if I told you that the me that you're projecting to the world can be what makes all the difference? And that it's an overflow of the me that you really do see. What if, what if you could actually um, honor God with the me that I see? What if you could be proud of the person that you are because of the grace of God working in you? I want to share with you three things. How do I do that? How do I actually catch the goose? I'm chasing it. I've been running around. I've been making decisions. I'm doing my best. But how do I actually catch up with this thing? Number one, you need to write this down. You need to be authentic. You need to be authentic. My life should reflect my mouth. The thing that I project publicly, if I'm going to acknowledge Jesus publicly, it needs to be an overflow of that privately. The me I see needs to be the me we see. And it can happen. It can happen. The Bible says it in Luke chapter 3 verse 8. Stop talking about it. Here's what he says. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented and turned, repented from your sins and turned to God. Your value isn't placed on your actions. We just talked about that. But your witness is. Let that sink in. You want to write that down. Your value is not placed on your actions. God so loved the world. He knew that we were messed up, broken people. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all messed it up and need a Savior. But if we're following Jesus, no, our value is not determined by it, but our witness is. There are people in your life who need to see the witness, an authentic, real witness of the grace of God that has covered your life and that can cover theirs as well. I can't be a gossip and still walk with Jesus. I can't. I can't be hateful and still say I love others around me. My witness, what I do, speaks louder than what I say. So if you're at church every week and you're lifting up the name of Jesus and you're, and you're calling yourself a believer and you're making all the Christian posts and saying all the right Christian things publicly, but honestly, you, you find yourself in your circle of influence being a gossip, Talking about this and talking about that and talking about your witness is being ruined. If you're a hateful person and you don't show people grace and love and it's all truth and no love and no grace, your witness is being ruined. You're not being authentic. True authenticity is a reflection of the gospel. If you're keeping it real, looks like the world around you. You probably haven't followed Luke 3, 8. Prove by the way that you live that you've repented and turned from your sins. That you've turned to God. What I practice, I get better at. Do you know that? Practice doesn't make perfect. Practice is not perfection. But it does make you better. See, only Jesus, the sanctification process, it's an old church word that means the, the, the longer I'm in this thing, the more I follow Jesus, the more like him I become. He is molding me, sanctifying us to become more like him. 
Shepard just this year started playing baseball, my five-year-old. He's in coach pitch. We never played t-ball, and uh, he's in coach pitch, and, and he's never had much practice. I've played ball my whole life, and he's never shown a whole lot of interest in it until this year. And so we've started practice, and he's got an incredible group of coaches that are helping and uh, some men in our community volunteering their time that are just loving kids, and they're doing an incredible job. But I'm telling you, Shep has a learning curve. And I remember going to practice the very first day and him barely being able to throw the ball. He would step with the wrong leg and, and he would barely get it out in front of him. And, and, and then we had to determine what's, which way does Shepard bat? Is he left-handed? Is he right-handed? We're learning that he's probably left-handed batter and a right-handed thrower. And he's learning. And just a few weeks in, already just a few weeks in, he's, able to, he's just about able to catch it every time. And He's finally able to step and throw, and he's throwing the ball further. He's got a long way to go, but practice makes you better. And I know this. In my authenticity, the things that I practice the most are the things that are going to shine the brightest. And if I'm, if I'm practicing my faith, if I'm practicing my authenticity, if I'm proving by the way that I live that I have repented and turned to God, then ultimately those things are the things that grow. But if my gossip is growing, if my attitude is growing, if my bad decisions, if I continually make bad decisions because I'm, I'm, I'm submitting myself to the labels that the world has laid on me in my life and that just continues in my bad decision making and it's pulling me away from my faith and it's pulling me away from my community, you're not being authentic. You're not. You're wearing a mask. And here's the truth. There's an old word. That literally means masquerade. You know what it meant? You know what that word is? It's called hypocrite. Hypocrite is literally a word that means wearing a mask. I'm wearing a mask, hoping everybody doesn't realize that I'm really not being authentic in my faith. I'm gonna catch the goose, I've got to be authentic. Prove by the way that you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Number two, once I've repented, once I'm turning to God, once I'm honestly, authentically trying to live out my faith in a way that honors him, I've got to be active. Practice, remember, makes you better. I need to be active. I love it. 2 Timothy 2, 21, it says, those who cleanse themselves from the latter, the sinful life, sinful nature, uh, will be instruments for special purpose. Made holy. What does that mean? It's not, it's not as crazy as you think. It just simply means set apart from the world. Useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. I know this, that I'm never more like Jesus than when I'm serving others. Never. So how can I be active? How can I begin to pursue actively living a life that honors Jesus and serving others? You want to write these down. These are extra. Number one, you need to run from sin. He goes on to talk about it in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22. He tells you to run from sin. Run from any form of sin. Don't, don't play with it. Don't, don't entertain it. Too many people in American Christianity are entertaining sin in our lives. We are not strong enough to entertain sin and it not affect us and influence us. Many of us today are living our lives unintentionally pulling ourselves away from the purpose and plan of God for our life not authentically chasing after his purpose and plan because we have, we have nonchalantly entertained sin in our lives. 
by the music we listen to, the, the television that we watch, the movies that we see, the people that we hang around. We're entertaining it, and it's influencing us. And we're not active in our faith. The next way is in verse 23. It talks about it. It says, run from sin. And then verse 23 tells us to surround ourselves with people who love God. Your community matters. You need to get into a small group. You need, to, you need to actively this week pursue activity in a small group. There's all kinds of small groups here at Cultivate Church. Plenty of ways for you to get involved and begin to live a life that's authentically chasing God. I can tell you, the more you are around people who value serving other people, the more value you're going to place on serving other people. But I know this too, that the more you surround yourself with selfish people, the more selfish you're going to become. Because we influence one another. Iron sharpens iron. People influence others. Run from sin. Serve people. Surround yourself with people who love God and want to serve his church. And you'll begin to see a difference in your life. You need to be active. How are you? Question. How am I serving the Lord? How am I serving him in my church? How am I serving him in my community? How am I serving him in my family? If you don't know a quick answer to that, then you need to dig in and you need to begin to get active in your faith. You need to be actively serving the Lord in those capacities. Number three, the last thing I'll share with you today is you need to be available. Be available. I'm going to be authentic. Come on, I'm taking off the mask. I'm going to be real. Who I am is who I am. I'm going to be active. I'm going to start serving the Lord through the context of the local church. My decisions matter and then I'm going to be available. I love 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. The Lord talks to Timothy. He said, uh, Paul talks to Timothy and he says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Set an example. Be available. I know this, that if I am authentic and I am chasing the Lord and I'm doing my best, I'm not perfect I don't always get it right. I mess up and God's grace is good enough. God's grace carries me through in those moments. But I'm authentically chasing after the purpose and plan of God, God's will for my life. And I'm surrounding myself with people who love God and I'm active in my faith and I'm serving my community and I'm serving in my local church. I'm opening a door. I'm saying, God, I'm available for you to use. And I would say this, that in that passage of Scripture, we can even say hermeneutically, absolutely, it's young in age, but it's also young in faith. Don't let somebody look down on you because you're young, just because you're young in the faith, just because you just started following Jesus. Don't let somebody look down on you because you're young numerically. I love that we have an incredible next generation here at Cultivate Church. So many young families, so many kids. They're not the church of the future. They're the church of today. Don't let somebody look down on you because you're young or young in your faith. But set an example. If you don't see an example being set, that's God calling you to set the example. He is simply looking for availability. God will use anyone who simply makes themselves available to him. So how can I be available? What does that look like? Well, he laid it out right here in this passage of Scripture. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, you need to watch what you say. Set the example in speech. Far too many of us have idle words. 
We allow ourselves to speak before we think. Before we allow ourselves to filter it through the, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, the filter of the Holy Spirit, out comes everything that comes to our mind. And how many times have we stuck our foot in our mouth speaking in our own emotions? Allowing a feeling, allowing an emotion to overflow into our mouth. And the Bible reminds us that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And Paul is telling Timothy as an example to others, watch what you say. Watch your language. Your, ver your, your common language ought not sound like everybody else on your job. Ought not sound like everybody else in the locker room at school. You ought to set an example of what it looks like to, to uh, ethically talk and communicate to people with compassion and love. The Bible says it. Watch what you say. Watch how you talk. Don't sound like everybody around you. Come on, you're asking God, I'm available, Father. Use me as an example. How you conduct yourselves respectfully to people around you. You ought not be acting like a fool and everybody else around you doing the same thing. As a follower of Jesus, I'm setting an example. I'm going to conduct myself in a way that represents and acknowledges Jesus well publicly. My wife and I, we have a rule. We've, had, we've been married 16 years, and we have a rule that, you know what, we can disagree. We can disagree with one another, and we can even be angry with one another. But publicly, we're going to honor one another. How do I conduct myself in my relationships? How do I conduct myself in public? How do I conduct myself in my job? What do people think about how I act and how I present myself? It's the, we, it's the me we see, Right? It's an overflow. Conduct yourself respectfully. He says to love people well. Set an example in how you love. And we've talked about this a million times at our church. Love's not a word. It's an action. Love does. How am I, what am I doing to love those God's placed in my life? You need to walk in faith. This one's huge. This one's so big in the body of Christ. I believe it. There's so many people who are walking by what we see. We are so influenced by the circumstances going on around us that it matters and it shifts how we act and how we respond. So many of us, the sky is falling in every, bad, every ounce of bad news. We have, a, we have a bad job report or we have a bad doctor's report or, or something goes, goes wrong. Somebody treats us wrong or does us wrong or offends us in some way and how do we act we don't walk in faith the sky's falling the bible reminds us that as followers of jesus we don't walk by sight we walk by faith god causes all things to work together for those that are that love him and are called according to his purpose if he got you through your yesterday come on it's an example it is it is a testimony that he's going to walk you through your today He's got this. Set an example with bold faith that come what may, come hell or high water, I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm setting an example. I may not be able to understand his hand in this moment, but boy, I can trust his plan. I trust him. I've got faith in him. I'm going to walk in faith. And then I'm going to commit. He says it goes on. I'm going to commit to purity and holiness. I'm going to commit to live my life in a way that honors Jesus. Hey, I want to pray with you. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are? If you're driving, don't do that. Just pray with us right where you are. Maybe you're here today. You've tuned in and this message has touched your heart in some way. Maybe you've, you've, if you're following Jesus, you claim to be a follower of Jesus. My hope is that you've been challenged. You've been challenged 
to consider your life. There are people placed in your life strategically right now who need to see the gospel lived out by you. And the decisions you make, the way that you talk, the way that you act, it all matters. The we that we see needs to be an overflow of the we that I see. What does that look like in your life? Are you authentic? Are you actively serving those around you? Are you available for anything God would want to do through you and in you? And then maybe you're here today and you can say, no, I'm not authentic. I'm not active. I'm not available. I don't even know Jesus. And I just want you to know, here's the reality. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There's nothing you've done in your past that you have to overcome on your own. As a matter of fact, you can't do it. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God and we needed a Savior. So Jesus fit the bill. He died on a cross and he came back to life three days later, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And that makes an opportunity for you right now to accept him as your personal Savior. You would simply say these words, Father, forgive me of my sins. I'm turning from my sin and I'm turning to God. I repent. I'm turning away from the life that I've lived, the decisions that I've made. And Father, I'm going to actively, authentically chase after a pur your purpose and plan for my life. Jesus, I accept you as my Savior. And this day, I confess you as my Lord. I believe that you died on the cross, that you lived a sinless life. And with all of my heart and with my mouth, I confess that you came back to life. And because of that, you offer me salvation today. I accept you as my Savior. And from this day forward, I'm going to follow you as my Lord. Thank you for salvation. Father, in Jesus' name I pray.